Good morning. May the Lord give me power to preach his word this morning and may he give you open ears, receptive hearts, ability to understand. I think this is a very important passage and it's a sober, sober passage, uh, but one that we really, really need to hear and I, I trust that um, you find it encouraging um, and challenging in a very profound way. I want to start by asking a question. Uh, if one of your close Christian friends uh, begins to wander away from God, what should you do? Should you pretend that nothing is wrong? Uh, should you pray for them but not say a word to them? Should you talk about their condition to other people? Should you uh, tell your pastor or somebody else to go talk to them? Or should you pray for them and appeal for them to come back to God? Well, this is the issue that James is addressing in these last two verses in the book of James. One of the saddest realities of life as a Christian, and the Christian life is a joy-filled life, okay, overall it's a joy-filled life, but one of the saddest realities of life as a Christian is that some people wander away from the faith. Uh, we, we wish that every professing Christian would live faithfully uh, all of their days to the very end, uh, but some do not. Uh, in spite of the great love of God, in, in spite of the wonderful goodness of God, some will wander away from the truth. Some will fall into uh, sexual immorality. Uh, some will turn away from sound teaching. Some will fall in love with the world. Uh, some will turn aside into doubt and unbelief. Uh, some turn away from simple, from a simple and pure devotion to Jesus, into uh, religious legalism. Um, This phenomena of of spiritual waywardness is is mentioned frequently in the Bible. If if you're not familiar with the Bible, you actually may not know it's there, but but it is. I mean, these are not verses maybe that you would put up on your refrigerator or underline or highlight and memorize, but but they are there for us. Uh, Paul tells Timothy... Uh, and it's interesting that he's he's warns Timothy, you know. He says to Timothy, turn away from godless empty chatter of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing have wandered away from the faith. He also wrote, Timothy, my son, fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience. For some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. 1 Timothy 4, 6, Paul wrote, Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 2 Timothy 4, 3, For the time will come when they will turn their ears away from the truth. And Peter speaks of those who have known the way of righteousness and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. 
And in our passage, James is addressing this exact concern. If anyone among you should wonder from the truth. We need to be aware of these warnings for ourselves. And yet that's not really the, the, the thrust of James' message here. His concern is that we need to go after people in this condition. We need to, to go after them. We need to seek to turn them back from spiritual disaster. And this, this mission to wayward brothers and sisters is primarily what James has in mind here in this passage. And he, he highlights this mission. He, he tells us how important it is to, for, for really each one of us are, are called to, to have a, a mission uh, to wayward brothers and, and sisters. Now, normally, or, or most often when this passage is taught, uh, it, it ends up being an argument over whether you can lose your salvation or not. Okay? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on, but, but the problem with that is that's all anybody remembers about this passage, and that's not the thrust of this passage at all. That misses the whole point of the passage. The point of this passage is that it is a great and important thing to turn a man or a woman, a young person, a young teenager, boy or girl, it is a great and important work to turn a person back to the truth. Because you are playing a part in sparing that person from spiritual disaster. C.T. Studd, uh, who was a missionary to Africa in the 1800s, uh, once, once said, I'd rather save one soul than be Queen Victoria. And I've always loved that, that statement just because it shows how he, how he saw the, the spiritual importance and the glory of turning people to God. And he saw it as a greater thing than to be the Queen of England. And... He was talking about con- converting an unbeliever, but the application is the same. We, we, should have, we should have the same appreciation, that same value for the work of turning a wandering brother or sister back to the Lord. Because if you turn someone who is, who is sinning, who is wandering, if you turn them back to the path of obedience to Christ, you have rescued that person from an extremely serious condition. And that's basically what James says. Let, let, if you do that, you are to know that you have rescued that person from a very extremely serious condition. Sin leads to great misery and death. Therefore, it is one of the greatest acts of love ever shown in the body of Christ to go to seek to turn around a sinning brother or sister. Jesus said in Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. You know, G- Jesus does, does not correct us. He does not reprove or discipline his people because he, di- because he does not want them to have any fun. He reproves and disciplines because he loves people so much he does not want them to head to disaster. He does not want them to harm Themselves. And, and this is why 
you and I should go after that wayward person too. Those whom we love, we go after. Uh, If we really don't care much about people, uh, then we're not going to have much motive to go after them and try to turn them back. So now we're going to just move through this passage. Um, There's a short passage, but we're we're going to move through it phrase by phrase because I I think it's really important to help help us understand it. I'm going to start just with what James starts with. He says he starts verse 19 by by saying, "My brothers, my brothers." That's a phrase James has used all throughout this book. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that it seems, it seems clear to me that he is talking about those who are in the church, those who are in the fellowship of believers, my brothers. And another aspect that I, that I want to point out about this, this, this brotherhood our relationship with other Christians is a brotherhood. It is a family bond. We, we are a band of brothers. We are bound to each other in Christ. We are bound to each other in brotherly love and affection. And so that person that you see on Sunday morning is, is not just someone who comes to your church. They are your brother. Uh, that wondering person that James wants you to be concerned about, concerned about is your brother. And so you go after them, uh, not, not because, just because they maybe violate your sense of right and wrong, but because they are family. They're your brother. And then he says, if anyone among you, if anyone among you, all right, that's the next phrase, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, in other words, if anyone, he says, my brothers, if anyone among you. So if anyone, if anyone among the brothers, if, any among, if anyone of the brothers among you. Or we might say, if anyone in your circle of Christian friends. So he narrows it down to believers among you. He's talking about people that you know. He's talking about a person who has wandered from the path of truth for or I'm sorry, he's talking about a person who has walked in the path of truth for at least some period of time and then has turned aside or wandered away from that path of truth. And again, it seems to me that he's talking about a believer. James says this person has wandered away from the truth. And just a, just a, a few comments on that word, wandered. No one just walks away from the truth all of a sudden. People apostatize over time or they they fall into sin over time. No one is faithfully following Jesus and abiding in the word of God, faithfully involved with the saints, and then just one day they fall into adultery or deny the Christian faith or believe some false teaching. People gradually move away from God. They gradually get further and further from fellowship, further and further from the truth, further and further from the path of righteousness. Uh, A wandering person usually departs first from close fellowship with God in their own personal life, in their own heart, where maybe nobody else sees it. But but they've they've stopped praying, they've stopped worshiping in their heart, they've lost their love for the word of God. They 
then, then it begins to show up in more outward things. They stop coming to church. They associate more and more with people in the world um, or people who are walking down a similar path that they are now heading. And then James says they wonder from the truth. What is it that they wonder from? They wonder from the truth. And what, what is this truth that people wonder from? Well, uh, the truth includes both our beliefs and our, and our walk. It, in, it includes the, the, the doctrine or teaching that we're committed to and, and also the way that we live. <clears throat> People wonder away from correct teachings about God and Jesus and salvation and the gospel. They also wonder away from, pure, from a pure and godly lifestyle that we are called to walk in as believers. So here's a, here's a brother in this situation and James says... If someone is, this, this one has wandered away, and, and someone should bring him back. Okay, a person's in this condition. Then he, then he says, and someone should bring him back. So James goes on to say how important this work is of bringing the wandering brother back. And he's going to show what a great disaster you're saving a person from if you should be that someone who brings back the one who has wandered away from the truth. Um, and so we're, we're going to get to that, but, bef- but before we dig into that, there, there's something else here that I, that I just want to camp on for, for a second that, I, that I, think, I feel like the Spirit of God brought out to me, especially this week, and I, I, I want to bring it out for you. Notice that James says, if one of you should wander away and someone of you should bring him back. This is one person going after one person. You know, there, there are so many people out there in the world who need help. It's overwhelming. You may think, what can I ever do? Well, James says, you can go help bring one person back. And sometimes ministry, and even for myself, I get caught, sometimes ministry seems only for famous uh, big-name pastors and large churches. And it seems that what you and I can do would not matter. But James says it does. Uh, A pastor by the name of Glenn Pease, and I don't know anything about him other than I just happened to see a message he wrote titled, One is Enough. And in it he said, sometimes our biggest problem is that we think too big. We want to save the world, and this is very noble, but it is an ineffective goal. We need to narrow our scope and devote our lives and resources to reaching just the one. If you have two tennis balls coming at you and you try to get both, you usually miss both. You need to concentrate on the one. I put that in there for Grant. <laughs> you know, sometimes we hope, hope to do something big for God, but often what God sets before us is to go touch one person. And it it is so easy to value big numbers and big things, but fail to value that one person that God has in front of you. And you think of the ministry of Jesus, how he just, he touched people one by one, basically, whether it was the woman at the well or Zacchaeus. You know, he saw that one person and and he went and reached them and ministered to them. So James tells us that that one person who has strayed Their soul is important, and you do a great work uh, to go after them. Remember this, whoever turns one sinner from 
the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. And I, I also think it's interesting, not trying to dissect this too much, but he says if one of you turns him back. You know, obviously no work like this can happen without the power of God at work. Amen? But still, your part is seen as vital by James. If, if you turn him back, you are, you are doing something. You're an instrument of God, certainly, but you are doing something to turn him back. You're, you're going after that person to stop them, to bring them back to the path of truth. Uh, I think, just throw out a couple, some different ways that I think you can do that. Certainly, you pray for them. Starts with that. I mean, James has just told us, if we read the whole context, James has just told us that prayer can accomplish much. So pray for that person you know who no longer loves Jesus like they used to, the one who no longer comes to church, the one who is wandering off the path of righteousness. Your prayers can have a major impact on turning that person around. Number two, you live, you live your life as a, as a godly example. And you seek to live for God yourself. It's very hard to turn people back to the way of truth if you're not living in the truth. And people, that happens a lot. People, boy, I wish so-and-so, I wish my kids, or I wish this person would, you know, would follow, you know, really follow the Lord. But if you're not following the Lord, you're not really putting, you're, you're not really putting forth that example that can call them back to the way of truth. It's hard to estimate the, the, overestimate the power of your life to challenge people to live for God or to come back to God. If you are following Jesus, if you are following hard after God, if you are finishing your course, then your life itself is a message that will call other people back to the truth. And then third, you make a, a personal appeal to them. Thinks, with, without saying so, I think that's clearly what James has in mind here. You go to that person, and with as much love and gentleness as you can express, you say, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for the direction that you're heading. You go and make a, an appeal to that person. Now, you're not confronting them uh, because you have a personality conflict with them. All right? You're not confronting them because you're judging them over some minor issue, okay? Or some area of freedom. Um, you're not confronting them because they irritate you. Uh, or they don't see eye to eye with you on some minor uh, doctrinal issue. But because they have clearly departed from the way of truth, from the Lord and the way of life that he has called us to. You're calling them back to the path of righteousness, calling them back to a simple and pure devotion. You're calling them back to devotion to Jesus Christ. Verse 20, Let him know that he, he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death. Now a sinner, in this context, I believe is simply one who is sinning. He who turns someone who is sinning back uh, from the error of his way will save him from death. And in this case, he's, he's talking about a, a brother who is sinning. If you turn him from the error of his way, you will save his soul from death. Sin leads to death. 
Again, uh, before we turn to the issue of can, about can a person lose his salvation, the main point here is that you are saving his soul from something really terrible. And you should know that. Let him know. If you go turn someone back to the Lord, you should know. Or remember this. You're saving that person from, from, from really bad stuff. You're saving that person from spiritual destruction. Now that phrase, um, death, I think could, could mean death on three, three different, different levels. It could mean, could mean physical death or an early physical death. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about those who were not living in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, and while they were not living in a manner worthy, you know, Paul says in Ephesians, after he talks about all the blessings we have in Christ, he says, all right, then therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he tells us how to live. And Paul says here that these people were not living in a manner worthy of the Lord, and yet they were, just, they were coming and partaking in the Lord's Supper like it was no big deal. You know, I'm living in sin, come and take the Lord's Supper, no big deal. And Paul said, for this reason, some among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Some experience premature uh, death because they they dealt with sin in in this careless or flippant manner. And Paul called this the discipline of the Lord and said, in that same passage, he said, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So in other words, loss of salvation was not the point. It says these people, he clearly says, these people will not be condemned along with the world. But they would experience some serious consequences um, for the path that they were living on. And so if you, if you, in this sense, if you turn them back from this, you would save them from early death. Secondly, it could, it could mean eternal death. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different interpretations on this, this passage. Uh, it is possible that this person has been in the church, known the way of salvation, uh, has maybe called themselves a believer, has fit in with other believers, maybe for years, but has never truly known the Lord and is headed for eternal judgment. So if you turn him or her back to God, you are, in a sense, saving that person from death. You're saving his soul from death. You know, I mean, we, we teach here that, you know, that people that are regenerated, uh, born of God, uh, that what, what God begins, he, he finishes. And we, you know, we, 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 we talk about the, the, uh, how, being eternally saved. He who has the Son has the life. You know, we have, we possess eternal life. But one of the things that the apostles made absolutely clear, we, we sometimes use that, use that in, in, and, 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 and extrapolate something from it that should not be extrapolated from it. Uh, one of the things that the apostles made absolutely clear was that a person living in persistent, willful sin, will not inherit eternal life. I mean, that's taught. It's clear. I mean, and never in the Bible is assurance given to a person living in persistent, willful sin. 
You just can't find it. People living wayward lives are always warned in the strongest sense. Sin leads to death. So in, in one sense, and I don't mean to be uh, too, you know, too blunt about this, but in one sense, you don't have to try to figure out if this person has had a genuine conversion or not. All you have to do is look at their life. Paul said, For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, it's a pretty sobering statement. But when someone is living that course of life, James says, if you, I mean, if you go after them, you save their soul from death. That's how bad it is. Now, all who practice all those things that I just mentioned, all those things that I just mentioned, all who practice such things can be saved. That's the amazing thing. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, hey, you guys were just like this. This is what you guys were like. You can be saved. These people can be saved. But they are headed towards spiritual death and exclusion, Paul says, from the kingdom of God unless they are turned around and so in this case, as James says, if some, some one of you turns the sinner from the error of his way, you will save his soul from death. A third kind of death also comes from sinning. And it's what I will call a present, present experiential death. It's just, it's just the misery and the bondage that comes from, to anyone who commits their their pathway or commits themselves to a pathway of sin for, for any period of time. Uh, a, a person in this state, is they're not serving God, they're not enjoying God, um, there's, there's no emotion of hope in God, um, they're, they're just kind of dead. And if, the, if, they, if they are genuinely a believer, they are not living or thinking or acting like it. And let me give you a couple of examples from scripture um, to show what I mean. In Revelation, uh, Jesus said to the church at Sardis, uh, Jesus wrote this to a church, okay? He said, you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. Is, it, is my message that bad? <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Interesting, in, very interesting line. You have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. This church had a reputation that great things were going on there. This, you know, this was a happening church. They had a reputation that they were alive. People, other people were saying, man, this church is really alive. But God's opinion of it was that they were dead. In a similar since Paul said, if a widow in the church lives for her own pleasure, she is dead even while she lives. And there, there's, there's some other passages I, I, could, I could go to, but I, there, there, are, there, is just this, there is just a sense of, there's just a sense of death when you're not walking with God. I mean, there's just, you're either walking in life or, or in death. You're either dead or alive, you know. And I, I, I know there's an ultimate sense in which we're dead or alive, but even, even in believers' lives, there can be this sense where you're 
just, you're just kind of not really alive. And you know, it's like, wake up, believe, like Paul said in Ephesians, wake up and Christ will shine on you. It's come alive. Let's not be, let's not be dead. <clears throat> and just, you know, just to give you one more very sobering verse, Peter tells us how terrible a thing a terrible estate a brother is and who has wandered away from the truth and into the pathway of sinning. Second Peter 2.20, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and again entangled in that corruption and overcome, they are worse off in the end than they were at the beginning. Um, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on on it or on the sacred command that was pressed or passed on to them. The point is this, uh, people who have known the truth and have turned their back on it are, are, in, a, are in a terrible situation. And there, there's really um, nothing more, I don't know if pathetic is quite the, quite the right word, but there's, there's just nothing uh, more, more uh, sad than a Christian who is, or at least a person who has who is a Christian in name or by profession, who's not living as a Christian anymore. James says, if you turn someone back from this situation, you have saved him from death and covered a multitude of sins. If you turn someone back to the way of truth, you will play a big part in that person's being forgiven many sins. And it's not like, obviously it's not that you cover their sins, but you're, you're playing a role in their lives so, so that their sins will be covered and, and f- forgiven. All right, but I wanna, now I want to come back to what, what is really the heart of this passage. I don't, I, I don't want us to miss this. and I, Boy, I hope I haven't confused anybody by those things. That I've said. I think we have to be addressed because, because it talks about it here. But let's come back to what is really the heart of this passage. What, what is the thrust of it? What is James really trying to tell us here? And that's this, if you know someone who has departed from the path of righteousness and truth, the greatest and most loving thing you could do for that person is to pray for them and to appeal to them to turn back to God's way. And that's, I mean, that, that is, that's the application, okay? I mean, I could stop the message right here. And we're, we're, we're not far from that, but I, that's, that's the thing I want you to hear, that it's really an important, it's a really a vital thing, it's, it's, something, it's something highly valued to, uh, to, to turn someone back to the way of truth. But I want to just address some kind of practical things uh, that go with that. Number one, uh, if, the, if, the, if the wondering person is a close friend... Uh, you may worry that you will lose that friend if you say something. Um, and I would just tell you that yes, you very well may lose that person's friendship if if you go if you go call them back to the way of truth. You very well may lose their friendship. But if you're following Jesus and they are going on a different path, you would likely lose them anyway. I emphasize that you sh- that that we that we pray for people and make an appeal to them. There may be situations, maybe perhaps with a spouse 
where the emphasis needs to be more on prayer than appealing. But still, you know, that still you still have that role. If you, if anyone among you, any close, any anybody that you know is wondering, your your mission, whether it's through prayer, through appealing, whatever, is to is to is to to seek to bring them back, and regardless of the consequences. Um, next, secondly, warnings are often not well received, and I, I guess I pretty much already said this, but I think you do have to be prepared that. It, I mean, it may, that person may just say, man, that's just what I needed to hear. Thank you for coming after me. Thank you, thank you for loving me enough to confront me and come get me. But <clears throat> maybe not. Uh, you may have, you have to be prepared that that person may spurn you or even accuse you. Uh, they, may, they, may, they, can turn, they might just turn on you. And they, they'll probably, they might accuse you of being judgmental, uh, accuse you of you know, not having... Not having any grace for being legalistic, and, and we should I'm, we should show grace. But I, I just know how how easy it is when you when you try to pull someone back to the truth. Boy, they can just start slinging accusations uh, back at you, no matter how gently you try to do that. Uh, third, just practical issue: um, you do not have to wait till that person has completely shipwrecked their faith to go talk to them. In fact, I think it would be better to approach them early and at least express uh, express concern. Um, usually, usually the indications that that a person is wandering away from the truth are 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 fairly evident. You don't, you don't have to wait till they absolutely destroy themselves. Uh, number four, I think, uh, go with great. Humility. When, when we talk to people, there's, there's a place for boldness. There's a place for being strong. There's a place for rebuke, even. So I, I don't want to. I don't want to mean like you have to just be like just real namby pamby and well, you might want to consider not. You know, I, I don't mean that. But but yet you go with humility and 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 gentleness. Uh, Galatians five one, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should res- restore him. Gently or with a spirit of, of gentleness. I mean, there's, there's, we go to we we just go to people with great grace and humility. I mean, we're not we're not trying to um, we're not trying to like pay them back for what they're doing. Okay, we're trying to call them back Amen. to the way of truth. And then another just obvious application to this to this message is that. If, if anyone here this morning, if someone among us here, if someone among you here this morning, if someone here is uh, wandering away from the truth, uh, we call you this morning in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit and by the word of God back to the path of truth. We call you back to the straight and narrow path, the path of righteousness, the path of faith, the path of obedience, the path of devotion to Jesus Christ and to the Scripture, to the Word of God. And if, if any here are secretly entertaining thoughts of, of defecting from the faith in any way, don't do it. Um, I mean, James, James has, has told us what, what the, the, really the terrible end of, of that is. 
Um, and those who wander from the truth invite untold pain in their lives. You know, a verse that I quoted earlier, <clears throat> I think is, is good to remember. It's specifically in the context of money, but I think it could apply to, to anything that would cause us to wander away from the truth. It says, some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And again, you could, you could change that word money for a lot of things. Uh, you could say people eager for this or people going after that or people whatever. Anything that you would go after that would cause you to wander from the truth will cause you, as Paul said, great pain. You will pierce yourself through with many a pain and many a griefs. And so don't do that. You know, let, let this passage act. It's certainly a warning. It's a sober passage. But let it, uh, let it cause you and help you to avoid much pain and grief in your life. Let it, keep, let it keep you on the path of joy. Let it keep you on the path of life. Let it keep you on the path of, of enjoying God. Um, instead, of, instead of piercing yourself through with many pains and sorrows. In our men's group uh, yesterday morning, we're studying through the book of Jeremiah. <clears throat> And one of the verses that was in our chapters yesterday morning was, uh, was Jeremiah 6, uh, 16. And uh, probably not, you know, not, maybe not everybody knows this verse, but it, it is actually considered one of the most famous texts in all the Scripture. It's considered one of the great texts of the Bible and has been preached on, uh, I can't say more than any other text, but it's been a subject of, of sermons throughout the centuries. And, and this is what this verse says. It says, this is what the Lord says. All right, and just, just, just let, as it were, let the Lord say, speak to you this morning. This is what the Lord says to you this morning. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. <clears throat> Stand Stand at the alternate paths you can look. You could, you could take. Look, stand at the crossroads. Look at the different paths you could be going down, or maybe are going down. And look. Consider your way of life. Consider your path, the path that you are on, and the path that you should be on. Go to the Lord and ask. Ask where is the good way? What is the what's the ancient path, the right path that God revealed in His Word? Ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. You know, I, I love that. There is a way for every one of you out there this morning. There's a way f- for you to have rest in your souls. There's a way for you to have rest in your souls. What a greater, greater blessing than that. And it's, it's just to ask God for his ways. Ask God to show you the good way and then to walk in it and you will have rest for your souls. So, for those that, that, are, that, are, that are on the path of truth, you've not wondered, you know, boy, be diligent to stay on that path. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Walk in the truth to the, to the end. You know, just be determined that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna fight the good fight and, and follow the truth. Walk in the path of truth to the end. And you ask the Lord. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. 
Yeah, you know, I, I often just turn to the Lord, lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. If, if someone is, is, has wandered from that path, we, just, we appeal to you in the name of Jesus uh, to turn back to God in His ways today. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of your spirit to take it and take your word into the innermost recesses of our heart. And we look to you and trust you to do that through your power this morning. God, I pray for anyone who is wondering away from truth in, in, to in, in any measure this morning, that, that you would use in a powerful way this morning to call that person back to the truth. And then, Lord, give each one of us the love, the genuine love for our brothers and sisters that, that we would be willing to go and appeal, in, certainly in, in gentleness and kindness, but we would go and appeal to people to turn back to the way of truth. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, uh, let, uh, let, let the Spirit of God work on your heart this morning. If God's speaking to you, you don't have to get up and just immediately leave. I mean, you could, you could sit in your chair. You could let God talk to you this morning. Uh, some more you could deal. Do, you could do some spiritual business with the Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, God bless you. Um, have, have a blessed day in the Lord as you walk in His, His ways. Amen.